we're going to be continuing, or rather resuming, the Alliance 40 Days of Prayer with week three. Uh, if you were here for week one, week two, or if you're watching online, week one was all about the holiness of God, as we considered just how perfectly holy God is. And then naturally that leads us to week two, which is our own repentance. Because when we consider the holiness of God, it's obviously and starkly contrasted with our own unholiness. And so really where our own unholiness must bring us to in light of God's holiness is a place of repentance. And we looked at repentance, how it's not just turning from sin, but it's turning to the Lord. And then there's beauty in repentance. Because what does God's word promise us? That when we repent, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And there's mercy. And when you consider really the initial, the ultimate repentance of declaring Jesus as Savior and Lord, the scripture goes on to tell us that we are now free from the chains of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have a new heart, a new life in God. And what does that bring us to? It brings us to Holy Spirit fullness and empowerment. And this, is a, this has become a very um, diversely taught subject, we'll, we'll say that. You can get a lot of different perspectives on Holy Spirit and what it means. So I want us to really, we're going to dive, we're going to spend a lot of time in Scripture. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture verses today because this is not, you can't afford to be wrong about any of it, but this is something that you can, you can get a wide range of teachings on the Holy Spirit and what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we're really going to dive into what does the Bible say about Holy Spirit fullness and a Holy Spirit empowered life. But before we begin, please join me in prayer. Lord, we approach you humbly. We approach you gratefully. You are perfect holiness. You are forever on your throne, and you welcome us into your presence. I mean, it's incredible that you look at us and you desire a relationship with us, and you offer a relationship to us, and that, Lord, that fills me with such joy and such hope. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your goodness, like we sang about. We thank you for your marvelous love. And now, Father, as we open your word, we first thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us on our own to try and, and figure this out and stumble about, but that you have given us your word. And we thank you for it. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit for understanding, who teaches us, who takes us deeper. And so, Lord, now in these moments, we ask that you would take us deeper. We ask that this would not be me up here. If there's anything of me in this, remove it right now. Let this be spirit-led. And may, may the words come from your spirit. And may the ears that listen to it be opened by your spirit. Father, we trust you to teach us. And we ask that we would, we would see you and we would know you. And we would continually be molded to look like Jesus. But we give you this time. May it be an offering that's pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when you consider Holy Spirit fullness, when you consider Holy Spirit empowerment, rather than immediately beginning with, okay, what does that look like? I think the natural place to start with is first, who is filled with the Holy Spirit? Who has the Holy Spirit? What does that even mean? If I say the fullness of the Holy Spirit, what, who am I talking about here? And again, you're going to get a lot of different teaching on this. So we're going to look at what does Scripture say. And I believe, I'm convicted that when you look at Scripture, 
When you look at the biblical narrative at all of Scripture, it is very clear that every believer at the moment of salvation is indwelt and baptized by the Holy Spirit. And you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Consider these verses. This is John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Acts 2.38, Peter and John have just given this brilliant discourse on who Jesus is and on Jesus' resurrection. And the people are convicted and they reply. They say, how, how do we respond to this? What are we to do? And Peter says, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, this promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, for everyone who God calls to himself. 1 Corinthians 12.13 says, In one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And then you have Romans 8, 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So when you consider this question, this foundational question of who has the Holy Spirit, this idea of the fullness of the Spirit, who are we talking about? We're talking about you. We're talking about every believer. There is no Holy Spirit light. There is no Holy Spirit platinum level and silver level and bronze level. Phil as an elder does not have more Holy Spirit than Josh. They both have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You do not have more Holy Spirit than your child because of the age difference. You have the fullness of the Holy Spirit if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have professed Jesus as Lord. If you have received salvation, you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have been baptized by the Holy Spirit and indwelt by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I cannot give you more Holy Spirit. Make no mistake, this is a very dangerous lesson that has crept in into much of the teaching in churches across America. I cannot give you more of the Holy Spirit. You cannot come to me and receive an extra dose of the Holy Spirit. I do not have control over the Holy Spirit. He is not mine to do my bidding and to say, you know what? I really like Mark. I'm going to give him some extra Holy Spirit. That's not how this works. If someone tries to tell you that, it's blasphemy. have nothing to do with it. We have all received the fullness of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. He indwells us. Okay? We have to have that foundation set. That's what Scripture lays out. This is for believers. What did Peter say? For you and your children and all who are far off, everyone who God calls to Himself receives the fullness of the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Stop. That's what the Bible says. That is what I will believe. That is what I will teach. I will not tolerate anything else. Because this is what God's Word says. You all have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the church needs to accept this and wake up to this reality. 
It's not, well, they can do God's work because they have, you know, Holy Spirit pro level and I just have Holy Spirit amateur level. No, you are the church. You have believed in Jesus. Jesus is your Lord. You have the Holy Spirit. So as we continue to talk about this idea of Holy Spirit fullness and Holy Spirit empowerment, you need to understand that if you have professed Jesus to be Savior, if you have received salvation, you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in you. This is what God's Word says. There's no alternative. And so now as we consider this, what does this mean for our lives then? Once we, get our, once we accept and understand that I have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the natural next step is, okay, so then what does this look like? You're talking about Holy Spirit fullness and Holy Spirit empowerment. What does this, what does this mean for our lives? And the president of the Alliance currently, John Stumbo, he has a great, he describes it, I think, just fantastic. He says, the sanctified life is not passive. I have no participation nor is it a life of initiation. It's up to me to get this right. It is a life of cooperation. I yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit in my life. See, those are also two very dangerous teachings about the empowerment and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You will find people who will try and tell you, okay, well, you have a passive role in this. It's the Holy Spirit, so you just sit back and do nothing, and you're done. Salvation, conversion, over. That's the, like, that's the end goal is conversion. No, that's, that's the starting line. That's where new life begins. This life of the Holy Spirit, this, this idea of empowerment by the Holy Spirit, it is not a passive role that we are called to. I have no participation. But make no mistake, let me be abundantly clear, it is not a life of initiation. It does not rest on my shoulders. It is not on me to begin it. I cannot give myself new life. I cannot initiate this idea of a holier life. I cannot make myself more righteous. The initiation, the impetus, the origination of this is God is the Holy Spirit. I am neither passive nor am I the creator and sustainer. My role is one of cooperation. It is one of yielding to the Holy Spirit in my life, of submitting to the Holy Spirit in my life, surrendering to Him. As we'll continue to look at falling in step with Him, aligning my thoughts with Him, it's not passive, but I am not the one responsible to initiate. I am tasked with responding appropriately to his leading in my life. It's a life of cooperation. And I want you to keep those two ideas. It's not a life that is passive. It is not a life of initiation. Keep this definition, this explanation from Stumbo in your mind as we continue to look at Scripture. Look at these verses. When you consider it is not a life of initiation. John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Life does not begin with me. Life, life does not start here with Sam. It is not I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. It is God who has given me a new heart. It is God who has breathed life into these dry, dead bones. Who has removed the heart of stone and given it a heart of flesh. It is God who originates. God who initiates. Scripture is clear on this. Scripture is also clear that I am not passive in this. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Holy Spirit initiates. God initiates. Jesus initiates. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Not when you hold your hand out and take the Holy Spirit. Not when I give you the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The initiation is God and God alone. But then what's the response? You will receive power. This is Jesus speaking. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There is activity on our part. 
There is an active response. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you respond. You don't just, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're done. Enjoy the cookout. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and in response, you will go actively be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and Jerusalem and the ends of the earth. It is an active response to the initiation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Ephesians 5.18. This is, this is going to be our next big thing that we look at. Ephesians 5.18 has a phrase in it that says, but be filled with the Holy Spirit or with the Spirit. And that phrase, be filled, that's an active command. There is activity in that. But be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? What is this idea of to be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you said, I've been baptized by the Spirit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, I have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in me. And now Paul writes this command, be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? As we consider spirit fullness, this is a passage that gets used for so many different teachings. And so we need to understand Ephesians 5.18 as we consider this idea of to be filled with the Spirit. So I want to look at the context of Ephesians. I want to look at the background. And when you, consider, when you consider Ephesians, it's a letter written to the church in Ephesus, to the whole church in Ephesus, written by Paul. And when we understand the background of the church in Ephesus, so Paul pastored this church in Ephesus for about three years. We don't know exactly how long. We know it's about three years. It was part of his third missionary journey. You can find this in Acts 19. I'm going to go through a couple references pretty quickly just to establish the background. If this is the stuff that really interests you, you love the history, you love the background, let me know. I'll, I'll give you this information so you can dive into it. But we're not going to look at all these. But in Acts 19, we see that Paul pastored the church in Ephesus as part of his third missionary journey for about three years. And then he left. He transitioned on. And when Paul transitioned on, the church in Ephesus began experiencing some severe issues due to ungodly leadership from some of the elders. Their names were Hymenaeus and Alexander. You see this in 1 Timothy uh, and a couple different chapters in 1 Timothy. So Paul leaves the church. The church in Ephesus is doing well. Paul leaves the church. The authority in the church, they now they don't have their lead. They don't have one individual leader. They have a, a group of men serving as elders, but some of the elders are wrong. Some of the elders are problematic. They're teaching un- godly lessons to the people. They're allowing the culture around them to influence them. And so Timothy is installed as pastor to counter these teachings from these, these elders who have led the church astray and started to allow influences to creep in. But because of their influences, the church in Ephesus was plagued with a history of wrestling with cultural influence and allowing practices of the pagan culture around them to kind of commingle with the practices of their church. And so you've got this very interesting system where Timothy has been installed as pastor and Paul is writing a letter to the whole church in Ephesus. And the first half of this book that we call Ephesians, the first half of this letter is theological in nature. And Paul is outlining and reminding the believers of the blessings of their life in Jesus. So the first half of Ephesians, Paul is laying out, here are the blessings of your new life in Jesus. Remember this. This is what you were taught. And then the second half of Ephesians gets practical. And it gets day-to-day -day behavior. And Paul transitions from the theological truths of this is a reminder of your blessings in Jesus to he transitions to now you need to live in a manner worthy of them. And so the first half of the book is theological and then the second half of the book is practical. As he says, here are the blessings. Here is how you are to live in light of this. And that's where we find Ephesians 5.18. We find Ephesians 5.18 
And he says, he says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And why does he include that? Certainly the Bible, if you, look at, if you look at the whole context of the Bible, if you look at the whole narrative of the Bible, certainly the Bible speaks against alcohol abuse multiple times. It, it regularly commands we are not to be drunk on alcohol. But that's not what Paul's talking about in a macro sense here. He's talking about something very specific. Because when you consider the church in Ephesus, and you consider these two elders who were leading the church astray with their culturally influenced behavior and teachings, what was happening is, in Ephesus, the pagan worship ceremonies around this church, they included drunkenness as a means to induce deeper communion with their God. So in the pagan worship ceremonies, as they gathered to worship their gods, they would gather and they would, get, they would partake in mass corporate drunkenness because they thought that this induced deeper communion and relationship to their gods. And this is part of the teaching that's starting to creep in and affect the church in Ephesus. And so Paul is directly contrasting, here's what the world around you is doing. This is not what you are to do. They are filling themselves with wine in order to get closer to God. They are filling themselves with wine in order for fellowship and communion with God. That is not what we do. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. That is where you see communion with God. Communion with God, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is contrasting this to the practices and behaviors of the world around them, seeking that fullness, seeking that fellowship in other means. And Paul says, no, that's not what you've learned. Be filled with the Spirit. And he goes on to give, when you consider this idea, the specific example of Paul talking about their worship ceremonies and how they sought fellowship with God and to praise their gods, Paul lays out what this looks like. He says, Do not get drunk on wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this command in Ephesians 5.18, it's a command for believers to live continually under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He's saying you are not to be influenced by outside sources. You are not to be influenced by intoxicants. You are not to be influenced by the culture around you. You, when you worship the Lord, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the defining, influencing factor in your life. The fullness of the Holy Spirit in you. Paul lays this out. He says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a phrase that is not unique to Ephesians. As you consider the specific example of the Ephesians, but then the large-scale lesson, this idea of believers are to be filled with the Holy Spirit in everyday life. That it's to drive who we are. It's to influence every action. Uh-oh, Luke. Sam might have messed up when he didn't plug this in. Ha-ha, nope. Oh, yeah, Sam definitely messed this up. All right, Luke's in charge now. That's on me. So when you consider this idea of be filled with the Holy Spirit, that it's a day-to-day -day present reality, continual reality of submitting to God, surrendering to the Holy Spirit, this idea of submission to the fullness of the Holy Spirit inside of you, it relates directly to an empowerment of the Spirit. Again, the Spirit initiates. I, I cannot be more clear on this. The Spirit initiates. I do not initiate. You do not initiate. But in surrendering to the Holy Spirit and submitting to the fullness of the Holy Spirit inside of you, there's an empowerment of the Spirit to live with Spirit-influenced behavior. This phrase, be filled with the Spirit, we see it throughout Scripture when you look at the New Testament church. 
Acts 2.4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What do you see in that verse? You see the Holy Spirit initiates. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and as the Spirit gave them, they responded. So there's active, they are not passive, but it began with the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.4, Acts 4.8 and 31. Both David and I referenced this last week. This is when Peter and John are speaking to the crowds, they're preaching to the crowds, and the leadership, the religious authorities have a problem with this. So they bring Peter and John before the court and they command them to stop. They say, it's wrong, you are not to preach the name of Jesus. And what does it say in Acts 4, 8 and 31? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. And what he says is beautiful. I mean, really, read Acts 4. What he says is incredible. But the detail I want to draw your attention to today is that then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Again, initiated by the Holy Spirit. And Peter responds actively. It is not a passive response to the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is, not a, this, is a, this is a daily reality. This is a continuing reality for Peter. That he is responding, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is submitted to the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit in his everyday conversation. In verse 31, When they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Again, the Holy Spirit initiates. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak with all boldness. There is a response to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And what is this referencing? What does this call to mind to when you consider Peter and John before the court and the Holy Spirit tells them what to say? Well, Jesus gave this promise. In Luke 12, 11-12, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities... Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And keep in mind chronologically that this, this new church in Acts, this would have been very fresh for the, for the apostles. This would have been very fresh. So Jesus tells his followers, an interesting side note, why are we so shocked when the Word of God comes under attack? I mean, we act so surprised when people try and stifle Jesus. We're like, oh, what is this? The world doesn't want me to talk about Jesus. Yeah, Jesus told us the world was going to respond that way. And we act like it's this incredible new thing to us today. Like, no Christian in the history of the world has ever had their voice silenced. This is, this is the history of Christianity. Are you kidding me? But we act like it's so personal to us. And Jesus says, he says, when they bring you, when, it's going to happen, you're going to be speaking my name, and the authorities aren't going to be happy with that, and they're going to try and shut you up. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour. The Holy Spirit initiates, and then they respond actively. The Holy Spirit will teach you what you are to say. Again, it goes back to that definition. This is not a passive life. This is not a life of initiation. This is a life of cooperation and yielding to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Jesus laid it out for his disciples, and then they put it into practice, and they demonstrated the truth of it for us. Just, I mean, right down the road in terms of history. It's incredible. Acts 6, 3, and 5, and, and Acts 7, 55. This is the story of Stephen, the very first martyr in the church. 
Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then Stephen preaches, and he's killed for this. And one of the last things that we see about Stephen's life, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heavens and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This idea, this filled with the Holy Spirit, what happened in all of those situations that we just looked at? Acts 2, Acts 4, Luke 12, Acts 6, Acts 7. What do we see? Did we see in Acts 2, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Does it say, and the apostles came and laid hands on them and gave them the Holy Spirit? And it was a one-time thing. No, Acts 2 happened on a different day than Acts 4. And that happened on a different day than Acts 6. And that happened on a different day than Acts 7. This idea of filled with the Holy Spirit is dependent on God. It is submitting to Him day in and day out. It is not a one-time, well, I was filled in the Holy Spirit on January 17, 1998. Done. No, this is a reality. This is a continuing reality for the New Testament church that they are surrendered. They are yielding to the fullness of the Holy Spirit in them. And it says they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And He directs and guides their thoughts and their actions and their behavior as they respond to His leadership. Colossians 1, 9 through 10. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It says, be filled. And we see elsewhere in Scripture that the Holy Spirit, part of His role in the life of the believer is to guide us into deeper t- understanding. We see that the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we'll look at in a little bit. And this is what's written in Colossians. Be filled with this. This is a part of your life. This is a reality for you as the believer. These are not instructions written to a specific individual. This is not written to, hey, just the worship leader. Colossians 1, 9-10, to the worship leader in the church in Colossae. You do this. No, this is written to the church. This is a reality, or rather this ought to be a reality in our day-to-day lives, that we are yielding to the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit, whom you received at the moment of salvation, you are submitting to Him and living in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is a reality throughout Scripture. Luke, could you go to the next slide? Who's, who's been there? The little picture, if you can't read the text, it's about, or if you can't see the picture, it's about three pounds of bacon with half of a piece of lettuce, and it says, Lord, please bless this salad to the nourishment of my body. Amen. This, amen. We got a couple amens. I know some of you are like, man, if salads look like that, I'd eat more salads. James and I had a laugh about this a couple months ago. We were at a conference up at Beulah, and the dinner was at a weird time with some of the sessions, so we got out of the last session. We were still hungry, and we were like, all right, what's open? And the only place open within, I don't know, uh, any sort of driving distance was a wing place. And so we went and we got wings at like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And we sat down and we prayed for them. You know, we prayed, hey, I mean, like, Lord, thank you for this conference. Teach us in this. You know, and then part of it was, you know, Lord, bless this food. And then we kind of chuckled and we were like, All right, we're eating like two pounds of wings at 10 at night. Like, it is definitely going to take a miracle for this to, to be a blessing to our bodies. But that's the mindset we have. And it's dangerous when we allow that mindset to creep into our spiritual walk. 
It's humorous when we're talking about bacon and wings. It's very troubling and problematic when we're talking about our walk with the Lord. Lord, I want to continue on this path. I don't want to read my Bible anymore. I don't want to pray anymore. I don't want to change my behavior. I don't want to change the way I treat my neighbors. But, you know, could you bless me and draw me closer to you? God, I want to eat bacon cheeseburgers for seven straight meals. Could you give me, you know, the resting heart rate of a marathon runner? See, it's funny when we talk about food, but when we talk about our spiritual life, that's not so funny anymore. But do we take this approach with our spiritual life of, look, Lord, here's the path I'm on. I really like it. It's kind of easy and comfortable, and I enjoy it. I just I get to do what I want. I get to watch whatever I want. I get to talk however I want. But, so this is the path I'd like to stay on. But could, could you bless it for the nourishment of my spiritual life? It's problematic when we allow this attitude to creep into our spiritual walk. When we consider living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Luke, could you go to the next slide, please? I'm sorry, man, that I forgot to plug this thing in. See, spirit empowerment includes nurturing the spiritual life. Yielding to the Holy Spirit includes nurturing our walk with the Lord. Consider these verses. Romans 8, 5 through 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. What did we look at earlier? That anyone who has been born in Christ is a new creation in Christ is supposed to live with the Spirit. So are we setting our minds on things of the Spirit? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. In Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What do you see in Galatians 5.25? You see that the Spirit initiates. Galatians 5.25 does not say let the Spirit keep in step with us. Galatians 5.25 does not say, so you head out in the direction that you think is right and the Holy Spirit will tag along behind you. It says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is leading. The Spirit is in front. But we are not passive. It's not, okay, oh, Holy Spirit's getting further away. That's okay. I have Him. No, it's keep in step with the Holy Spirit. He moves forward, you move forward. He goes right, you go right. My right, your left. It's active. It's initiated by the Holy Spirit, and then we actively respond. You see these truths woven throughout Scripture. I told you we were going to be, we we're going to hit the Bible hard. Because we have to understand what God says about the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the life of the believer. The fullness of the Holy Spirit within you. And living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. So consider this. This next slide. Consider these verses. What does that mean? What are we nurturing our lives with? Really consider, what are you nurturing your walk with the Lord with? Matthew 4, 4. But Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, if we don't feed our soul with spiritually healthy food, we'll become spiritually weak. Where's, where's Phil, you're a doctor. If I eat nothing but candy every day, all day for 20 years, what's my health going to be like? Poor. That was probably a very polite way to put it. If I'm not feeding my body appropriately, my body will become weak. If you are not feeding your soul appropriately, there's going to be weakness. I said earlier, you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And make no mistake, you do. You have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 
But the Bible is also clear that we can quench the Holy Spirit. Scripture lays it out. Believers can quench the Holy Spirit within them. You have not lost the Holy Spirit. It's not like, okay, well, now you're at 87% Holy Spirit. But Scripture is clear that believers can quench the Holy Spirit within them. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone. If we are not feeding our soul with spiritually healthy things, we will become spiritually weak. Consider these verses. Because if we're failing to feed the Spirit, what's the alternative? We're not just not eating. You're not just not feeding yourself anything. But if you're not feeding the Spirit, if you're not feeding yourself with spiritually healthy things, what are you feeding? You're feeding the flesh. Consider these verses, Galatians 5, 18-23. When you look at it, we, we all know, everybody likes to talk about the second half of this passage. We're going to get into the fruit of the Spirit. And I would bet that most of us have, maybe not most of us, I bet, I bet a good number of the people here have the fruit of the Spirit memorized. We don't like to think about the first part of these verses as much. This is Galatians 5, 18-23. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Well, that sounds good. Now, the work of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, divisions, dissensions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we're not feeding the soul with spiritually healthy things, we're feeding the flesh. And what does that look like? The first half of that list is easy to sit through. Impurity, sensuality, sorcery. I don't commit sorcery. Idolatry. I think 2020 revealed a lot of idols in the lives of the American church and the American Christian. Idolatry, that's starting to make us a little more uncomfortable. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. Eh, Can we get to the fruit of the Spirit yet? Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. If we're not feeding the spirit with healthy things, we're feeding the flesh. And that's what it looks like. It looks like bitterness. It looks like division and dissension. It looks like disunity. It looks like condemnation and scorn for one another. It looks like rivalries. I mean rivalries. That's messed up. But that's what happens if we're not feeding the Spirit. That's what happens if we're not nurturing our lives with what we're supposed to. But now consider the alternative. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. This is what we're to be nurturing our lives with. This is the fruit of the Spirit. When you talk about Spirit empowerment, this is what it looks like. It looks like a life marked by these things. The most challenging, this is not my original, this was a Young Life leader, or a Young Life speaker probably in like 2006. I heard ask it this way. He said, "Go go to the fruit of the Spirit, and instead of just saying the fruit of the Spirit is, plug in your name. And can you truthfully say, can I truthfully say, Sam is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Can I truthfully say that about myself? Moving through that list. And they said, you want to make it harder? Start plugging in specific actions. 
Sam drives on the road, operating a massive steel machine. Sam drives with love and peace and gentleness and patience and kindness. Sam works. Sam interacts with his coworkers. Sam submits to his boss and authority over him with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Sam talks about those he disagrees with, with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. Yeah, we don't know. That's not a fun game. You want to figure out how yielded you are to the Holy Spirit? Pick out actions in your life and see if you can go through the fruit of the Spirit. Can you say, I post on Facebook with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I get in arguments with my uncle at the Thanksgiving table with love and peace and patience and kindness. I treat my neighbors with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. People who have wronged me, ooh, that's, not, that's even more not fun. People who have done me wrong, I respond with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness. That's what a life looks like yielded to the Holy Spirit. That's what empowerment of the Holy Spirit looks like. And then also consider Philippians 4, 4 through 9, as we consider this idea of initiation and an active response. Once again, when you looked at Galatians, what did it say? It did not say the fruit of you. It said the fruit of the Spirit. You are living life in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. He is the one who initiates, but as you yield, it looks like this in your life. Jesus regularly talked about, you'll know a tree by the fruit it bears. So if we are called to be known by the fruit we bear, and then we see that the Spirit initiates that kind of fruit, well then, okay, actively am I yielding that kind of fruit? And consider Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I think that was a struggle for the American church last year. I was, quite honestly, speaking totally transparently, I was pretty depressed to see how pessimistic and cynical the American church responded to last year. That was messed up. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Your reasonableness. Does that describe you? Someone who disagrees with you. I disagree with Sam, and when I approach him, he is reasonable. I have a question for Sam, and he is reasonable. Does reasonableness describe us? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That idea, that peace that passes understanding. Talk about a testimony. Talk about a testament. If the world around us could look at you and say, you have no reason to be at peace, but you are at peace. I do not understand that. Why? Talk about an opportunity to say, Jesus. I had a conversation like this in high school. Secular high school. Separation of church and state. You can't talk about God in high school. And I walked in on a Monday morning to homeroom and I was happy. All right, I'm Sam and I'm excited. I walked into homeroom, and my teacher looked at me, I'll never forget, my teacher looked at me and said, what is wrong with you? I said, what? She said, it's 7.40 on a Monday morning. What possible reason do you have to be so happy? And this was, this was something I did, and this is something I still do. I love going through all the reasons I have to be happy. So I said, well, first I woke up. A lot of people didn't wake up this morning. Then I woke up in a bed. 
Then I woke up in bed with a roof over my head. Then I took a hot shower. Then I walked upstairs out of my choice of food. Then I walked back downstairs now my choice of clothes. Then I got on free transportation to receive a free education. Like, I've been more blessed by 7.40 in the morning than most people around the world have their whole day. She said, that's weird. What's wrong with you? Why do you think like that? I'm not kidding. She said, that's weird. Why do you think like that? And I said, Jesus. And she said, what do you mean? And guess what we did for the entire 52 minutes of homeroom? I sat at the front, and I talked to her about Jesus. And kids came in and sat in their desks, and she forgot about the lesson plan, and we talked about Jesus for 52 minutes in a public high school. I have no clue where those people are right now. I, I, I don't know if any of them are missionaries. But when you look at peace that passes understanding, you have to ask yourself, does your life make sense to the world around you? Does the world around you look at you as a follower of Christ and say, yeah, that makes sense. That's how I live. That's how I'm living. I get that. Or does the world around you look at you and say, that doesn't make sense. The way you live is beyond my understanding. Why do you live like that? And then you say, Jesus, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. Do our lives pass understanding? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. God originates. God initiates. I will say it again. I do not initiate these things. I am not a source of peace in your life. I cannot give you joy. I mean, hopefully I can make you happy with my friendship, but I, I should never be your source of joy. Your spouse should not be your source of joy. God initiates, God originates, the Holy Spirit initiates this in us as he indwells us. But then we respond, what you have seen and learned and received, practice these things. There is an active response to the fullness of the Holy Spirit within us. It's what we are called to. Why? Because we all have, all believers have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. You did not just listen to this and say, well, yeah, that was a good sermon for the elders and the staff. They're the ones with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. No, you as a believer have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So this is how you are called to respond. There ought to be submission. There ought to be yielding. There ought to be a cooperation with the Holy Spirit. What does it say? It says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Align your mind with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, set the mind on the Spirit. Your thoughts, your words, set them on the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Active response to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If the American church looked like this, it'd be a different world, I'm telling you. So this week, last slide, thank you. This week, read Romans 8. Romans 8 is an incredible, beautiful chapter. It's one chapter every day. Sometimes if I tell you to read four or five chapters, you can just do one a day. It's one chapter. Read Romans 8 every day and ask yourself, do I consider this a reality in my life? Not a reality in the lives of the church, as it talks about a new life in the Spirit. Not, well, yeah, this is a reality for Sam and James, their pastors, but not for me. No, no, do, do, you, do you genuinely realize that the reality of the fullness of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, empowering you, that's true of you. 
Read Romans 8. And the question is simple, like I just said. Do you, do you consider this a reality? If you say you do, does your life line up with that? And then the prayer is simple. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lead me in spirit-filled words, thoughts, and actions. I submit. That word that we've looked at throughout Scripture of submission lining up under the commanding authority, do I submit to the Holy Spirit? I mean, could you look at my life and say that is a life empowered by the Holy Spirit as evidenced in His thoughts and words and actions? Church, we are called to live lives empowered by the Spirit because we have been given the fullness of the Spirit. You cannot escape that reality. Please join me in prayer. Father, this is by you. This is through you. You are the one who gives new life. You are the one who gives new hearts. It's your breath in our lungs. It's your spirit in us that gives us life. So we submit. Remind us that the flesh has been put to death. Remind us that the flesh has been crucified. Remind us that the flesh is no longer who lives, but that we live in you. That it is you in us. We submit to the Holy Spirit. Teach us to stay in step with him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.